everyone. Welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week, we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. This is a podcast sponsored by NASPA, Student Affairs Administrators in Higher Education. In this podcast, it is my goal to bring you expert guests and practical insight into how you can be the best student affairs professional possible. This week, I'm so excited to have Dr. Shannon Ellis from the University of Nevada, Reno, to talk about five things a student professional should know. So this is going to be exciting because I know you all go, go ahead and get that notebook and get your, get your pen and paper ready so that you can take down these valuable facts. So Dr. Ellen, so before we begin to get into the meat of the five things that we need to know, tell us a little bit about your university, uh, population, things of that nature. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend time talking to you and and ideally talking to our colleagues, although it's a one-way conversation. (laughs) You know, University of Nevada, Reno, we're at the northern end of the state by Lake Tahoe. And Reno is known as the biggest little city. And it really is. It's quite a livable place where the university was founded in 1874 at the north end of town out here in the western United States. And we kind of sit up on a little hill overlooking the city. And I would say as Reno has continued to maintain its character of a western kind of quirky little town, the university has grown. We're a public land grant. And I would say we're urban because Reno has an urban flavor to it and we're right next to the city. We're about 22,000 students, about 4,000 of those are graduate students, and the rest are undergraduates. 40% of our students uh, identify as students of color, and about 30% of our students are identify as Pell students. About 42% of our students are first in their family to attend college. And all of those demographics, the socioeconomic, the um, ethnic, and um, the first in their family uh, numbers continue to grow. So we're, we're, um, as we're growing, it's becoming uh, even truer to its land-grant mission of making higher education accessible, which is why I, I, I really love working here, because we're living that access mission as much as possible as you can as a public land-grant. I've been here in the vice president's role and at this university for 20 years. And I got to tell you, it goes by in a heartbeat. And I have seen so much change on this campus. You know, all of us go to a job for five years and (laughs) then new people come in, new opportunities come in, things I could not have even imagined. The growth We were a small, quiet little university, and then a whole bunch of things converged to make us grow, make us more diverse. I've built countless residence halls and 
student-centered libraries and buildings and a new student union and a new student achievement center. You don't know that when you take a job 20 years ago. So anytime someone would say, why don't you come and be this at our school? You know, nobody could match the excitement and the growth and the things we were doing. So I was smart enough to know a good thing when I had it. And I would just share that with other professionals. If you're happy where you are and you're having all the opportunities you want, don't feel like you have to keep moving around. You'll know that's not what you can find every place. So when you've got it, enjoy it. I have been in the profession for 40 years exactly. And thinking about spending time talking to you, that was one of my, oh my God, half of my career has been spent at the University of Nevada, Reno, which is great for all the opportunities. But that was a little bit of an epiphany for me getting ready to talk to you today. My first job was as a Greek area director at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I was 23 years old. I looked like all the fraternity and sorority members. And I was able to get a great deal of information because I looked like one of them. As I've gotten older, Older, it's harder to blend in with the students. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I took the same job at the University of Southern California working with their Greeks and was given a lot of opportunities at USC over a decade. And so, after about 10 years at USC, I moved on to the Dean of Students and Academic Services at Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and was there about eight years before I moved over to my first and only vice presidency here at Nevada. Wow. Well, I'm old. I got a lot. I got a lot of stories. <laughs> well, I'm right there because I, I, you know, I spent 20 years at USC and I think about like, wow, half of my yeah. career is or not quite half, but almost half of my career was at one location. And like yeah. you said, I appreciate you saying, you know, you might have gone there for three to five years, mm-hmm. but if it ain't broke, don't fix right. it as far as being right. a part of an organization that is number one, treating you right and that you love to do the work we do. So that makes a Big difference. Because you and I know plenty of people who are not happy where they are. Oh, boy, do I ever. And and you shouldn't stay in that, but they keep moving around and they haven't found what you and I have found. So I'm glad to hear you echo that same feeling. Absolutely. Which takes us right to this next part, the topic of the show being five things we need to know as a student (laughs) affairs professional. I mean, and it's really weird because people don't realize, like you started in Greek life. I started in admissions, but I was also a middle school teacher prior to that and then Mm -hmm. went into higher ed in around 92 Mm -hmm. in admissions. And so things like Greek life, res life, admission really give you an opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. the campus because we know with Greek life, you have to be in touch (laughs) with student conduct. Yep. Uh, and the police. You get to know the police really well. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, right. Student conduct, student university police system, judicial, yep. obviously. Judicial. So well, judicial is student conduct, but it depends on what they call it. It's Alumni. Yeah. Title nine. I mean, there's so many aspects to dealing with that, Mm -hmm. that it really gives you a good training ground when you have a position like student activities, Greek life, res life, admissions. Those are some key ones that I can definitely say will introduce you to the university in ways you never know. I say in those positions, sometimes I say to our president, we work in the underbelly of the institution. Right. You really don't want to know, but our job is to get them across the stage at graduation. Absolutely. In one piece. In one piece. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Absolutely. So please do. um, Hopefully at this point, the audience has their pen and paper ready. I have mine ready. So let's hear about these five things that Mm -hmm. student affairs professionals should know. 
Okay. And thank you for asking me because as people who know me know, I do not lack for giving out advice and being intrusive in people's careers, trying to help them be better because we've all learned the hard way. We've all made mistakes and figured out what we should have done. So I'm happy to help you avoid any mistakes. I tried to put these almost in a priority order. The very first thing I would say, every student affairs professional needs to be a student of students. You need to be the expert on your campus about the students. And I'm going to break that down a little bit because this is so important. You need to be very knowledgeable about past students. What were past students like? What were their values? Where did they live? Did they all have jobs? What did it cost to go to school? What were the popular clubs? I mean, a real sense of student life in the past, because I got to tell you, this has helped me connect with alumni over the years. And I learn from them as well as doing my own research in the archives. And it helps us connect And those alumni are happy to come. When they connect with you as the student affairs person, they will come be mentors. They will go into your career studio and help you with giving career advice to students. They will feel like they're appreciated and understood and that they want to connect with the current generation of students. So the current students you need to know really well, but don't forget the past students. And the longer you work at a school, (laughs) the more you'll have known it firsthand. So being an expert on current students, so you know that your programs and your services are what they want and what they need, which are not always the same things. Because we, I tell students, you know, we know a lot about you. We know what works We know what makes you successful. We know what makes you not successful. So I'm going to be intrusive with you and tell you, do this, don't do that. And so a division that knows its students and what works to help them learn and graduate, you have to know your current students. And then the third piece that I'm constantly peering around the corner, as I often say, is looking at future students. I spend a lot of time with our K-12 system in the classrooms, going to the school board meetings, being in the school at events to see who's coming up. You can look at demographic reports. You can look at what's going on in the schools, good and bad, world events that are shaping those K-12 students. And, And so thinking about Gen Z, a lot of their behavior now, we've got Gen Z at the front end and millennials at the back end. If you are a school like ours that has typically traditional aged 18 to 24 year olds, they've been impacted by the recession of 2008. They saw their families lose their homes and they act in a way that's different from those who didn't have that experience the tragedies, school shootings. When we do active shooter training now, my students say, oh yeah, I've been going through active shooter training since I was in kindergarten. So the kinds of things you want to look for, opulence. I've had students that went through the fat times and had everything. And so that shapes who you are. So everybody, the old saying of a student affairs, you've seen one student, you've seen one student. There's no broad sweep here. But being that expert, digging in, doing your surveys, talking to students, listening to students, and then share that with your campus. When you're invited or when you invite yourself to come and talk to faculty, to do new employee orientation, to talk to alumni, to talk to donors, share 
everything you know about students. Because the more people are educated about current and future students, the better your institution is. So that's a long-winded answer, but I cannot, you know, we are student affairs people. This is our turf. We should know everything we can possibly know about our students and share that so that everybody else can be successful too. And you make some really good points, especially nowadays with this whole active shooter piece. Yeah. I was very adamant about telling our VP, I'm like, we need to, you know, it's happening too much now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I said, we need to go through an active shooter. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. know necessarily what to do. And I think we all need some kind of training so that we know the steps that are needed in order to do this. And so we finally did, but I'm like, you know, you know, every it seems like every other month someone is shooting yeah. up a school or shooting up something. Yeah. Something but definitely yeah. a school. Yeah. So think about we're going to get those students in the next four to eight years. That wasn't a part of my K twelve experience. It wasn't a part of yours. And so, how does that shape who they are? That's just an example of the kinds of things I really want to encourage us to keep thinking about. Exactly. Wow. I mean, and it's unfortunate and it's scary. Like you said, I, that was unheard of. It's really <laughs> interesting because if you recall, the very first time someone went into a business of some sort, it was a post office. Remember, post office. And it was a term like, oh, he went postal. Right. After that happened, it was like, you kind of joke about it. It's like, oh, you know, you talk about somebody's attitude. Oh, girl, he is postal or something yeah. to that effect. Now it has gone to a fact that there isn't even a nickname. There is just like every month mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is a shooting in a nightclub mm-hmm. at the concert in Las Vegas last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure because you said be a student of students, I'm sure you had to get with whomever counseling and all of that for those mm-hmm. students who are from Las Vegas mm-hmm. and or anyone, yes. but mostly from that area whom, whose parents or whomever might have been at that concert. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, we had a number of students there. It's a very popular concert. And we had students injured, not killed. The person right next to them was killed. Oh, my God. Yeah. What is the impact of that? So our work is obviously very different than it was 40 years ago. And so my advice to professionals is, you know, it's going to change five years from now, 10 years from now. So one of the ways you try to stay in sync is observing, asking, studying all of these things that that we've talked about, and always thinking, how does this impact my students? If you have an international student population, you have to really think globally. So when you see something going on in a particular country, you have to pay attention to that and reach out to those international students. Are you okay? Is there anything you need? Is your family okay? And so I it's exciting. It's an it's a great part of the job, but you've got to put your tentacles out pretty wide with the global higher ed environment most of us are working in. The <laughs> second one won't surprise you in terms of it's it's about students too, because we are student affairs professionals. And this is when students are protesting, when students are standing at a microphone or marching across your campus, angry at the university or the government or a particular academic program, anything anything students are mad about, yelling about, complaining about, it is critical that a student affairs person on that campus remembers these students are not the enemy. These are your students. I think sometimes people, especially not in student affairs, immediately shut down, criticize, dismiss, don't get that. This is what we're doing on a college campus. We're helping students find their voice. We're helping students to analyze, think for themselves, and 
a part of that for some students is to get upset, to stand up at a podium. And it makes my heart sing when students stand up at an open forum and say, I wasn't going to talk today. I was just going to listen, but I'm so compelled to come up and complain about sexual assault or complain about anti-Semitism. And that makes me happy because that's what we're trying to do. Push them into finding their values, their character, their voice, the person they want to become, which is ideally an active member of the community seeking social justice. So I want student affairs professionals never view students as the enemy. Even the student that hates you, and we've all had them that will stand up and call your name and put you down. They are not the enemy. They are your students. And I encourage people to listen and especially with the harshest criticism. It will sting. You will feel a great burden. It can bring you to tears sometimes. But listen to the students. Listen to what they're saying. And I always try to ask myself, what if they are right? What if what they're criticizing, what they're yelling about, what they're angry about, what if they're right? And I make myself sit with that for 24 hours. And let me tell you, that usually means I don't sleep that night. But I honor them and I honor my own development by thinking about what are they so upset about. Sometimes I can get into a dialogue with them at that point. Tell me more. Tell me why you feel that way. What are we doing? What? Sometimes they don't want to talk yet. So sometimes you don't have a lot to go on. But be the person, if nobody else, be the student affairs professional that's like, no, these are our students. They have something important to say. And we may not agree with it, but that doesn't mean that they don't get a chance to, to speak their piece. And I'd much prefer that than students not speaking out and talking. So I, I worry about campuses getting into a us-them or a hunkering down barricade mentality. And you can't do that. You have to keep the lines of communication open and show them respect even when they're not showing it to you. Trust me, I know how hard this is. It's not an uncommon occurrence in today's student activist campuses. But I think we sometimes are the one conduit of communication to the students in helping work through issues that are very campus-based. You never want to have the students say, they wouldn't talk to us, they wouldn't meet with us, they didn't listen to us. That's what a student affairs professional does. If nobody else on campus does, that is your job. So the students are not the enemy. They are your students. And you don't have to agree with them. You often won't, but they're your students. So that would be my second. This is great. <laughs> the third one I learned from a faculty member a long time ago. And he said to me about student services, don't abandon the service mission. So much over the 40 years, student affairs has talked about being educators. We've talked about being developers of character and ethics. We've talked about being social justice advocates. And all of that is fine and good, but don't abandon. We are here to serve. And the faculty member said, I share that with you, Shannon, because if you as student affairs abandon that in addition to everything else you do, you serve the students, no one else is doing it on the campus and no one else will be doing it. You are the friendly face you are the empathetic listener. You are the person that goes the extra mile to help a student 
unravel a situation, to find their way again. And in that service mission, you are helping students learn, stay in school, and graduate. So he was really saying, don't belittle that role as providing a service to those students, whether it's the front counter at your admissions and records or people in student engagement, people in the student union, people who work in dining and housing that we are here to serve you. So it's about how can I help you? We may not do it in the way the student thinks we should do it. We're not going to do it for you, but we're going to help you learn how to do it for yourself. So so I want to make sure people understand what I mean by service. So don't abandon being a, a, the service group on campus because we are most likely the only group doing that. So that's my number three. Excellent. This is great. My number four, I just absolutely refuse to let my staff whine and go on and on about how hard they work and nobody appreciates student services. That is just forbidden. This is a profession that does amazing work and you cannot think that you are less than the faculty, the other staff, the researchers, and you cannot think that you're better than. You are equal to and you each contribute something unique to your institution, whether it's a small private or a large public. So my advice is don't suffer this imposter or less than syndrome and don't puff yourself up so much that you do the most important thing on campus and nothing else matters. I've seen both. They'll end your career and you won't be very happy. So think of yourself as a partner, a collaborator, and I want you to understand your power. It's in your relationships and in your position title and it's in what you know about students and how you share that but have humility with confidence. So I'm still a person who believes in the strength of humility. Sometimes we have to apologize, say we're sorry. I think that's a very sincere and empowering thing to do when it's appropriate. So don't be afraid to say, man, we screwed up or I screwed up, but be confident that the work you do really matters. I know it matters. You know it matters. So don't let people make you feel small, but don't do that to yourself. Because in the end, it really is important. If you don't feel empowered to help students graduate, you're not doing them a favor and you should go find something else to do. So I'm not going to let people have pity parties. That's my fourth one. And my fifth one is, this comes from Peggy Barr, who passed away this past year, but she was a senior student affairs officer that influenced quite a bit of the profession. She said, there's no such thing as an insignificant relationship. And I have found that to be incredibly true. Every relationship is important. The president, the groundskeeper, the secretary, the faculty member, these are all people you should be connecting to and cultivating relationships with and tending to. And the more you have, the more effective you are as a student affairs professional for your students, and you will be happier. People like to develop relationships with someone that is respectful and energetic and positive and understands why we're all doing the work we do. So work on relationships and tend to them. And I kind of, every New Year's, I do a, a landscape sketch of oh, how are my relationships on campus and off campus and professionally beyond my campus within the profession? And who do I need to go and kind of pay attention to? Where do I not have any relationships at all? Where do I need to kind of do some tending to some of these relationships? They are all important. You will find them all useful in your life beyond campus. So I wanted to say something about cultivating relationships. And we're really good at that 
That's what we do in student affairs. You can be introverted, you can be extroverted, it doesn't matter. Those relationships will help you do your job. So that's my fifth one. So let me just kind of recap and make sure, just in case I may have a follow-up question, because I was definitely taking notes. Okay. Um, Flip my page here. So again, everyone, the first one was be a student of students. And that is so important. I always tell people I am student affairs. And I tell my boss, I say, if I don't make a meeting and you know, you saw me earlier that day, I'm with the student. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tend to that student before I go to a meeting and I'll just deal with whatever consequences there may be for not Mm -hmm. me being at this meeting. If Mm -hmm. student walks in your office and they're crying and they're upset, everything stops. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do anything else until I help calm that student down. If I have to walk them to the counseling center, if I have to walk them to Mm -hmm. financial aid because of something, you know, money troubles. Again, that goes back to your fifth one about cultivating relationships on and off campus Mm -hmm. because we have so many and maybe again like you mentioned there's some different issues today than Mm -hmm. there were when we were in college I was in college Mm -hmm. in the eight, and Mm -hmm. you rarely heard about housing insecurity and Mm -hmm. food insecurity now Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because people weren't sharing and if they were they were your friends you let them sleep on the couch you Mm -hmm. fed them but it's so, it's such a huge issue today. You like, picked a great example. And it's such a huge issue today because, like you said, the 2008 recession and kids now, kids, you know we how we call them our kids, <laughs> but our students who might have five years, well, oh, eight was 10 years ago, who might have had to live in the car because they mm-hmm. lost their home and they were eight now and now they're our freshmen at our institutions. And so mm-hmm. we have to be mindful of all of the things, or I should say, the mm-hmm. baggage Mm-hmm. that students bring to campus. Mm-hmm. Another one when I, when I think about students of students is the high rate of students who are medicated. You know, the counseling center mm-hmm. busting out of its seams. And I remember they were just like, we're behind. We can't get people in and we have to refer them off campus. And it's just mm-hmm. incredible how many students, and it's probably due to all of the things that they dealt with growing up, mm-hmm. that they're on these different medications. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, having a, having a relationship with all the key offices on campus, but even taking in and having meetings with people with those those offices that really affect like counseling services and making sure you're on top of it as the VP. Does counseling mm-hmm. report to you? Yes, it does. So you ha- so you're on top of it anyway in the sense of knowing, you know, how many more counselors you need to hire because it's the, the overwork, the load is ridiculous these days. And how many students are dealing with mental issues? It is, and you know it's not going to decrease. Not at all. You picked a good one. You know, I think a good habit for most student affairs organizations to get into is to have your counselors come in probably the sixth week of school and talk about what they're seeing in obviously non-identifiable terms. Because again, it helps you become an expert on your students. It helps you to hear about changes because what might have been the prevalent thing that students were presenting in counseling sessions two years ago has changed. So it'll help you think about, hmm, what can we do to help those homeless students or to help the students who have legitimate anxiety because their school was shot up five years ago. Um, That right there. I'm like, oh my God. And I can't remember the first known publicized shooting was that Cumberbond mm-hmm. am I saying it right Cumberbond in Colorado yep and, and was that was that an elementary do you remember it was an elementary or high school it was a high school okay and it was April of I want to say 1999 oh, yeah, it's been a while, 
Right. I was just thinking, and then we, of course, we've had more incidents of just shootings mm-hmm. in schools. But I just think about, you know, those were seniors, so we would have had them as students a long time ago. But for example, the ones that might have happened within the last five to 10 years that were at elementary schools Mm -hmm. and or Mm -hmm. if their brothers and sisters were in that type of situation and now we're getting them in college. Exactly. It's a great observation. That's exactly the kind of thinking we need to, to do together because other people will. And that's why it's great, as you know, to have intergenerational divisions. I'm always struck when we remember 9-11. The student government puts together a remembrance and they weren't even born or they were one year old. And so I often, I'm like, what does this mean to you? And of course, it's, it's just it's history to them, as opposed to those of us who know exactly where we were on that day exactly. at that time. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes, it's very important to be a student of students. And like you said, I like the idea. And I think um, you probably thought about this when you first got to <laughs> Reno or wherever. I'm assuming in Reno that you probably thought of these more in depth. But because you've been there a while, we know these students who are now alums and mm-hmm. keeping in touch with them is very important. Like you said, yes. for mentors to work with them, yep. making sure that the career center is working with them yep. to have them come in on student panels and be employers and, and yep. so forth. Yep. But it, it is definitely, I love, and that's probably because I'm a former middle school teacher and I'm <laughs> always in connection with K-12. Yeah. Uh, and the part that I used to be in admissions for five to six years in outreach with, yes. uh, within a total. And so it's very important to connect with our K-12 folks because those are our students, mm-hmm. our feeder schools, mm-hmm. especially locally, our feeder schools to our institutions and just knowing exactly what's going on in the K-12 situation so that when they come to our institution, we have an idea of that. And so we're on Gen X. Did we go through the whole alphabet already? We're wow. on Gen Z now. I mean, that's what I meant. Gen Z. Yeah. Gen Z. Yep. We've got, I don't know what they're going to name the next group. <laughs> so who, those kids were born, those students, I keep saying kids because okay. I, they call me Mama Corliss on campus. Exactly. So I feel like, you know, well, okay. those students would be born when? The the, gen- from the mid 1990s through the mid 2000s, roughly. So there are freshmen right now. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, if you're a freshman or 18 years old. And I think you kind of mentioned it before where when we were talking about the tragedies, like Mm -hmm. uh, the active shooter piece, Mm -hmm. as well as the other piece of social media has taken us to so many levels from racial discrimination Mm -hmm. to knowing about these shootings and what's happening with, you know, with everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just scary. I mean, it's (laughs) almost every month now. Mm-hmm. Every month there is a shooting somewhere, a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Um, the one we just had recently at uh, the, the country, the bar or something in, right, in, in the Los right, Angeles right. area. And it's just, it's just almost, when I hear it, I'm just like, is it me or is this just happening too much? And, mm-hmm. or is it because my phone gets all the text alerts <laughs> and, you know, beside the tweets that you get as a text alert, it's like, <sighs> what? Another shooting? Then that mm-hmm. mall situation. And yes. then the killing of the wrong person. Yes. You know, the whole Black yes. Lives Matter definitely blew up when you, you know, every, I mean, in yes. 2016, there were so many people shot by the police are killed by yes. death by police that yeah. it just took it at a whole new level but let me make sure so before we run out of time that I hit all of them student protests I love how you said the students are not our enemy well first of all everybody has a right to f- a freedom of speech and right. this and we may go over a little bit because these are some very practical things that you're giving mm-hmm. our student affairs professionals on this podcast but like you said the students are not our enemies and that we need to listen to them and that we need to you know like you said what if they're right and most 
sometimes, you know, quiet as this cap, and I'm going to say it in a whisper, they probably are. However, (laughs) don't tell tell nobody I said that. Oh, we won't. It'll be our secret. Our little secret, right? But just important to make sure that they know that their voices can be heard. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling students, it's like, I hear what you're saying, and whether I believe it or not, I'm still going to be out there on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. I can't hold a sign. I can't come up to the mic. So please mm-hmm. don't call my name because mm-hmm. I'm just going to look at you and shake my head. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know how that would look. So I said, but I will be out there and I'll be mm-hmm. on the outskirts to make sure that you are safe. And mm-hmm. if you need to come in, because most campuses have some kind of committee, you know, right. protest committee. And I know at USC, and you know this because you work there, the card, we have a cardinal and a gold committee, yeah. no team, you got the gold team and so forth. And today, Students are very much aware politically, mm-hmm. socially about mm-hmm. things than we were. Like, I mean, I know mm-hmm. Berkeley was the spot back in the day of <laughs> everything, but now it's not just Berkeley. It's no, everywhere. It's everywhere. everywhere. And if you think your campus is immune, you're wrong because if it hasn't happened yet, which would surprise me, it's coming. And it's not a bad thing. You know, you talked about the committees. Campuses try to control this. Uh, you know, I just look at I just look at my people and I'm like, our job is to make sure they have a forum, they're safe, they're not disruptive in expressing themselves. The people who want to protest can go over here. It's tougher because I don't like what a lot of these people are saying, but at least at a public land grant, we're one of the last bastions of freedom of of expression or for worse. And then the other important piece, everything was important. Let's be, let's no, be sorry. Clear. But the very important, the very important piece that I put a little star was show them respect, even though they don't mm-hmm. show you respect. And I think it's very important for us to role model that even if we just doggone hate this particular student because they're always starting stuff, but they have the right to protest. I am still a believer, even in this day and age, they go low, you go high. You are the professional. Absolutely. Absolutely. So number three was don't abandon the student mission. We're here to serve. And that's the key. We are here to serve. We are student affairs professional. I said that earlier. I'm like, I am student affairs. And by the time I talk up to two, I was like, I am student affairs. I am here for you. Mm-hmm. So you come in my office. I mean, if you had 20 students lined up, 18 of them would have my personal sale. Now, everybody doesn't think on those terms. Yeah. But I do because I know it's important for students to know that they can text me or they can call me and that they have an administrator's ear. Like it you said, we're that friendly face. We're going to, they know I'm going to go the extra mile. They know you're going to go the extra mile. That's right. Um, and every campus needs people like that. So you are a real blessing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm sure that and in your student and in your role as the VP, you're hiring people to make sure that happens. But I will tell you that the best type of relationship is when that high, like I'm an administrator, you're definitely higher than me. And to have that type of relationship with your student as a VP mm-hmm. makes you even more successful. Well, I'm happier that way. You know, I get tired of people saying, oh, I don't want to be a VP because I can't be around students. I'm like, that is so not true. I'm around mm-hmm. students all the time. So no two people do the job in the same way. So you can be around students all the time. And number four, you mentioned no whining, no complaining. And then you (laughs) said later, no pity parties, like stop it. Mm -hmm. And that is so important to remind your staff on a, maybe Mm -hmm. on a daily basis (laughs) that we make a difference. And you mentioned something about 
staff and faculty. And, it, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, there's this beef. I mean, we're mm-hmm. even in NASPA, you always have a couple of presentations mm-hmm. at our national and our regional conventions that talk about academics, quote, versus student affairs. I'm here to tell you, if you haven't heard already, everybody is important. But faculty need to stop thinking that they are the end-all, be-all, because you only have them from 11 to 12, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we have them the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. dealing with breakups with partners. We're dealing with deaths in the family. We're dealing with tragedies like shootings and fires Mm -hmm. and different things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so it is very important. And I know you you didn't actually say it, but you did say it. We've Mm -hmm. got to partner with our faculty. I think actually you did Mm -hmm. say it. That's why I wrote it down. And we've got to make sure they know who their audience is. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. and I think I mentioned this somehow, somewhere, I said, I used to teach the class for students who wanted to be RAs, that's a resident assistant, and you had to take this class, paraprofessional counseling in the university community. And you had to take this class. It dealt with active listening, suicide, everything. Like you had Mm -hmm. this class where you could cover a lot Mm -hmm. in that six weeks. It was like a six Mm -hmm. or eight week class. It didn't go the whole semester. And then that way, when it was time for training that two weeks before school starts, they're not inundated with all this craziness trying to remember everything. But in that class, we have a diversity retreat and all that. So I say that to say we partner with academics because you don't know. Oh, I said that to say that I would bring food. That's what I was going with this. I bring a box (laughs) of donuts or I order a couple pizzas just on a whim. Yes. Because just because our class was like, I had a class from four to six. And so, Uh you know, you've already eaten lunch at at lunchtime or not. Mm -hmm. And so, but people don't understand or faculty don't understand food insecurity is real. And sometimes our students haven't had a meal since the day before, Mm -hmm. or our students are home insecurity. They're sleeping on the couch, their back hurts. Or the next stop, we have students that are parents that may work from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. home, cook breakfast, drop the kids off to school, and then maybe have a minute for a quick nap because they're 11 o'clock class. And when they're nodding off in class, it's not because you're boring. It's because they just worked the eight-hour shift and took care of it. So it's like I always, when I have an opportunity to talk to faculty, I always talk about, think about, uh, you were once a a student. Mm -hmm. Maybe you weren't a broke one, but Mm -hmm. you had some kind of issues at some point. And sometimes they have to be reminded that you are faculty. Yes, you're important, but you're only one entity of Mm -hmm. the camp. And working with us in student affairs, being able to identify when a student has just different issues to have that early alert system. But let me move on. But I just feel like this is so important for our listeners. So this is going to be a longer show than the 30 minute time. But that last one. Oh, and then other part of that, don't be afraid to make mistakes Mm-hmm. And then apologize. Yeah, yeah. That shows that human quality yeah. of an administrator. It's like, you know what? Dang, I was wrong. Or as the students would say, my bad. <laughs> and right. then the fifth one is there's no such thing as insignificant relationships. There's no one that's insignificant. And we have mm-hmm. to really partner outside of student affairs. Mm-hmm. The town and gown relationships are so important. So I appreciate you bringing that up to remind us that we have to have, com- we have, to have relationships with the K-12 as well as our community community college. Hello, transfer mm-hmm. students for working with them. And I like what you said about checking on your relationships, especially like you said, the counseling center, you know, six weeks, you know, do it like they do midterms, maybe check on the fourth week, the eighth yeah. week, the fourth, eighth, and then the last so that we can be on top of what the, the trends are that are happening yeah. as to why students are going to the counseling center besides test anxiety and other things. But that's, that was, that was mm-hmm. excellent advice. So folks, we are so out of time, but I just <laughs> felt that this was very important 
important to allow you to really go over the five things. Obviously, there's 20 things, but the top five (laughs) that you felt that was important for our professionals to know and think about. And, you know, if you think of five more, please let me know because we (laughs) might have to, because I mean, our work never ends. And so if you think of some more, we would love to have you come back and do a part two that says, you know, and then that way they can click on the first five and you can say, we can call it oops, five more things (laughs) that I've realized since the last podcast. And our whole reason for doing this podcast is because, you know, everybody's expertise doesn't come out at the national conventions Mm -hmm. and the the regional and national uh, conferences because they can only take so many sessions. Mm -hmm. But this, I'm excited because this helps me to realize that we, this is so necessary and people can do it on their own time and really listen. And then if they wanted to contact you, they know you're at UNR. So, you know, and this is great. So I just want to say, after saying all of that, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today. If you found value in what you heard, please share the podcast with other student affairs professionals. And I definitely um, will be looking for, so I'm just telling you now, there's going to be a part two, so get ready. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be interested to hear other people's five. Right, that might be good too. We have a panel, a little bit of a panel on the podcast. I see a book. I Uh think we got a book. Everybody put in your five and it'll be a a bestseller at NASPA. That'll be great. (laughs) I'll do your forward, you know, to say, you know, we found this out back in 2018. There you go. needed to have a book. So anyway, I look forward to having you join us next time as we share practical tips to aid you in your own student affairs journey. And this has been exciting. So get your next five ready and let's go go ahead and and get that proposal in for a book and or uh, for at least the next conference (laughs) in the area. But um, this has been very great. I appreciate you taking the time and staying over because this to me was very, not to say anything else wasn't important, but this is some tips that we can all use. Well, you're a great host. Thank Thank you you so much. I appreciate that. Love your energy. Thank you so much. All (laughs) right. Till next time, this is Dr. Corliss Bennett signing off. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, Tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.